ready for some word today? Yes. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and get it out and, and, and turn with me to two openings, 1 Corinthians 15 and Philippians 2. I started a new series a few weeks ago called uh, Right Living in a Wrong World. And, uh, and this will be highly beneficial. If you missed the first two parts, go online and listen or watch those. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 34 reads, Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. He gives two instructions here, and the order is also important. Awake to righteousness. For the believer, you're made righteous when you're saved, but you should be alive to that fact, aware of that reality, and know your position, your place, your standing with God. That's the first step. Secondly, do not sin. Uh, maybe the first covers you. Maybe you, when you awake to righteousness, you, you stop a bunch of goofiness in your life. But just in case, this is also a valid uh, exhortation for all of us. Stop doing dumb things. Anyone ever need to hear that? Anybody, anybody know of someone else that needs to hear that today? Today, okay. All right. I, I think it helps all of us. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. And then Philippians chapter 2, Philippians the second chapter and the 12th verse, notice here, therefore my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So not only did God work in us, drawing us to himself, he, he tugged on our hearts until we surrendered our lives to him, and then we were saved, talking obviously to those who have done this, though we've been born again, but now he continues to work in us, and what is he working on now in the saved person's life? He's working on our want to, working on our desires, helping us, our desires to conform to his and then he's also working on our to-do. Want to and to-do. He's working on our desires and our actions so they both align with what pleases him. Everybody say it out loud. Say, God, God is working in me working today, today on my desires, my desires. And, on my and on my ability to do, ability to do what he wants. Yeah, so if we'll listen to his voice today, you'll find out that's, that, that will be a part of his uh, instruction, his encouragement, his inspiration towards us. So our, our, our want to is in line with him, and our to-do is also in line with his good pleasure. Now, now last week, I also led you to uh, uh, what Paul wrote to Timothy when he said that godliness is profitable. Remember, godliness. What do you mean godliness? That's acting like God. Godly characteristic. Things that God would do. They are godly. If we will be godly, we will profit. All right? If we will be ungodly or conduct ourselves in a manner inconsistent with godliness or our new, our new nature in Christ, it will be very expensive. Has anybody ever experienced expensive sin? 
Say, so you mean like literally expensive? Yeah, literally expensive. I mean, not only did it cost you inwardly like, uh, you know, uh, guilt or your conscience was uh, hit and all those factors, but it also cost you monetarily. <laughs> I think we can relate to that. That's doing the wrong thing is, is harmful on many different levels. And I, I, it would be helpful for us not to be deceived by delayed expenses, all right? Sometimes what can happen is we do what we know we ought not do. It's inconsistent with our father, inconsistent with our new nature, but we do it and everything seems to be okay. It's like, yeah, I did this, but I'm still happy. I'm still, still got money in the bank and everything still seems to be okay. Have you ever had, had a situation where you hired uh, someone to do something, you purchased a service, and, uh, and then you looked for the bill in the mail, and a week later it wasn't there, and a week later it wasn't there, and a month later it wasn't there, and two months later it wasn't there, and three months later they never sent you a bill, and you thought, this is awesome. <laughs> they must have just given me that as a freebie. They never sent me a bill. And then four months later they send you a bill. Maybe their accounting got mixed up or something, but sooner or later you had to pay for that. I think that's similar sometimes with the negative effects of wrong living. Okay, we think, oh, everything's fine. I can keep just acting the fool and, uh, and everything's good. All, all is fine. It's not harming me in any way. It doesn't really work that way, though. Okay, and we shouldn't be deceived into continuing down the wrong path because our first few steps down the wrong path didn't really have any repercussions to it. No, as soon as you know, get back on the right path because these things are very real. Godliness is profitable. Ungodliness is expensive. All right, there's, there's a kind of a famous saying, don't know where it originated. I've been given multiple names <laughs> of where it originated, but it goes like this. Maybe you've heard it. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you there longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more than you want to pay. Let's remember that. Because these things are true. It'll cost us financially, emotionally, spiritually. It may take your health, your relationships. And uh, right living, on the other hand, will make you happier, richer, and allow you to live longer. It's really true. If I could encourage everybody, just with what's been said, if I could just convince you with my words to believe this. <laughs> believe this. Believe this is true about following the ways of God versus going your own way or the way of this world. It is true. These things are highly beneficial or detrimental to our lives. It really is going to make a difference. Like I said before in another message, you can go the wrong way and then come to us for prayer, and we'll probably pray for you. But going the wrong way continually will undermine every prayer of faith, will undo every act of, of, of righteousness um, in your life. I, I want to I live the way that Jesus did. See, I've discovered I need to teach more than you are righteous in Christ. 
That's, an, that's a first message. That's a most important message. I must teach more than that. John the Apostle wrote in 1 John 2, 6, He who says he abides in him ought, also, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Okay, notice the language, he who walks, he who abides in him. Remember that phrase, in him? That's in Christ. In him, through him, by him. It's all the same. It's in him. I need to know that. That is first and foremost. That's a revelation. Every believer must have is who they are in him. But then the follow-up is, you ought to walk like him. If you say you're in him, you ought to walk just like he walked. Say, is that possible? Is it possible for a, a Christian today to walk just like Jesus? Well, we're told to. Must be possible. So, so, so here's, the, here's the, the approach to this. Should not be, we should not entertain the mentality of I can't do right all the time. I can't live just like Jesus. I mean, he was Jesus and I'm just me. That's a wrong mentality. We understand this. The scriptures are never going to exhort us to do something that's impossible for us. We ought to read this and say, oh, wow, yeah, that's serious business. I say I'm in him. I ought to walk just as he walked. And if I see that I ought to, I also must believe that I can. So I've already asked you to believe one thing today. Can I get you to believe something else? (laughs) You can do this. You can walk as Jesus walked. You can walk. Those of you who say you're in him, you can walk just like he walked. So what do you mean like in... In like holiness, yeah. Like in character, uh-huh. In like, what, like, like in compassion towards others, uh-huh. Uh, you mean like in power? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Same spirit that was on him is on you. Yeah. Right? In every way that you can think how Jesus walked, we ought to walk the same way. Amen. If we don't, it's not because we couldn't, it's because we didn't. And so I'm not here to say, God, you're asking too much of me. You're you're requiring too much of me. No, no. If I get his mentality, and if I understand these things the way they really are, I can totally do this, and so can you. Say, I can. can. Walk Walk. just like Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Another way to say this is walk the walk or lose the bumper sticker. (laughs) That's he who says he abides in him, right? See, faith and love we hold so dear. They can't just be existing in theory. These must exist in practice. And, and here's, one of our, here's one of our challenges, is we separate them. We have become so intelligent, so brilliant, that we have learned how to separate what we believe from what we do. And we exalt our beliefs And we adhere to statements of faith and theological creeds. And we say, yes, I am one of these and I embrace this. And we are able to set aside the fact that sometimes we do the opposite of what's in our statement. Our stated beliefs. And somehow we're okay with it. And I don't think we ought to be okay with that. It's been studied by, by some... Uh, experts in language, that 20 
of the most primitive languages did not have a distinction in their verbiage, in their words, between believe and do. That their word for believe and their word for do was the same word. But yet we are so much more educated. We have been able to create separate words so that we can believe something. But doing, that's another subject. As long as we believe. But what if they weren't intended to be two separate subjects, but one identical way of living? I believe. What do you mean you believe? Well, that means I do this. Why are you doing this? What do you mean? I believe that. Instead of separating these into being two separate things. I think it might be worthy of posing the question, um, and so go with me if you would. Uh, Do you exist with beliefs that are not acted upon? You might answer it both ways, but think about it at least. Do you exist with, presently, do you have beliefs that are not acted upon? Do you say, I believe this, even though you don't do it? Or is that a fallacy? Or are we confused and we don't really believe what we say we believe? Are we really acting contrary to our beliefs or are our beliefs just really wimpy? Just very, very flimsy. When we say, and, and you could across the board, but when we say, I believe I'm healed, what should that look like in action? When we say, I believe in serving, should that have a visual component to it? Or should we stop saying it? Should we say, God meets all my need? And what would that look like in real life? In, in, in action is what I'm talking about. I'm wondering if there's something that we could label fake faith. Hallelujah. <laughs> we know Paul wrote to Timothy about unfeigned faith, which is not faked, but fake faith. I was thinking about James. Anybody know James? You know, maybe you call him Jim. Uh, Wrote the book of James. He was the pastor at the church in Jerusalem. And he had some problems with his church. So let's, we don't have to talk about us today. We'll just talk about his church. Is that good? All right, we can all, all right. Now we can relax, point our fingers. James had some challenges with the people in his church. Now, they were saved people who had a problem acting in a manner consistent with their stated beliefs. And when you read his letter, some of it is pretty harsh. It's right in their face because they would say one thing, this is who we are, this is what we believe, but their actions were not consistent. Just so you know, when you read that book, the book of James, He's not primarily talking to them about who they are in Christ. 
like Paul did in, much, in many of his letters. He is more talking to them about their pathetic lifestyles. And it shows both of these are New Testament messages. Who you are and how you act. Who you are by faith in him and then what you do with that. Okay? One way to, one way to say it is this. Paul was in the, in the house sitting in front of the fireplace saying, there is absolutely a fire right there. You have fire in you, house. James and John did this as well. He was outside the house looking at the chimney. And so Paul could say, I've got a fire, there's a fire in here. And James would say, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't see any smoke. You can tell me there's fire all day long inside, but until I see smoke, I don't believe there's a fire in there. How many think we ought to have fire looking on the inside? But we also ought to be able to go outside, outside of our lives, and find smoke. And how many know the family members that you have that aren't believers, co-workers you have, people who live, with, live around you, they're not, they're not asking you about the fire. They're observing your life and looking for smoke. And I think both of these are valid messages. And really, if we have something going on inwardly, it ought to produce something outwardly. And if there's nothing happening outwardly, what's going on? Are you really saved or are you faking it? Now, one, one very famous phrase about faith and works is found in, in, in James' uh, writing. And I want to read three of those verses from James chapter 2. In verse, seven, verse 17, he writes, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Notice that language, dead. It's not non-existent, it's just dead. It's called dead faith. Right? In verse 20, but do you want to know, O foolish man? <laughs> He's writing to his church. <laughs> that faith without works is dead. And then verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So he uses that language three times in a very short, uh, uh, short writing there about dead faith. Faith can be alive. Faith can be dead. Dead faith is non-working faith. Alive faith has corresponding action to it. He even used, he used multiple examples. You can read the whole chapter on your own. One of them was he talked about the demons. And he said, he said, you believe in one God, you do well. Demons believe that too and tremble. In other words, demons believe something and it produces a, a, a result. What's their result? A proper result to their faith. They believe there is one God, and they are scared out of their wits because they're not on his side, right? They're, they're, they oppose God and all that he is. They tremble. But at least they do something. In other words, their faith produces a result, a corresponding action. Yeah? So demons believe in God and freak out, and yet many people say, I believe in God and nothing. Hallelujah. The Amplified Bible of James 2.17 reads, So also faith, if it does not have works, deeds, and actions of obedience to back it up, 
by itself is destitute of power, inoperative, dead. And I don't know about you, but I totally want to avoid having a faith destitute of power. I mean, power is one of the distinguishing characteristics of the believer. We walk around not only with God's character, but with His ability, with His power, with His, I mean, He's working in our lives. I need a powerful life, and therefore I must have faith with corresponding action. Uh, It must produce something. This could be called living faith versus dead faith. Now, consider these potential contradictions. Uh, I believe in God, but live as if I will never give an account to Him. Think about how many people in the world that statement is true. Do you believe in God? Yes. But they live as if they don't. They live as if it doesn't matter what they do. They're, you know, they're used to everybody resting in peace. They say that when other people die, no matter how wicked they were. They say, well, you believe in God? Yes. That's a, that's a contradiction. Uh, I believe in sowing and reaping, yet fail to ever sow in any significant way. But yet I believe that, oh yes, we say amen to those scriptures, to those promises, and yet fail to sow. I'm thinking, I don't know if you really believe that. I mean, think about, think about what we, how we would act in our finances, which is only one part of that, in our finances, if we really believe what we say we believe about it. I'm thinking maybe we ought to not say these things until we really do believe them. Uh, I believe that God joins a man and a woman in marriage, yet they feel free to separate when they don't get along. What are you saying? I'm saying I don't think they really believe that. I think they just believe they, they became roommates or something. Something less than, here's what the point is, something less than God literally got involved and he made two people into one. Because that would, if you really believe that, that would have to have a dramatic effect upon your life. I believe the Bible is God's word. Yet, circumstances that seem to contradict it become our our greater conviction. We seem to embrace and believe the circumstances more than God's promise. Hallelujah. Everybody okay? I I want you to think about it, because we're not even talking about you. We're talking about people in James Church. (laughs) Man, those guys were messed up, weren't they? glad that we can just learn from them. (laughs) If you would, would you turn with me to one more place today? The book of James, chapter 1. Chapter 1 is before the the, the dead faith statements, but it's all really, you can see the same discussion. James chapter 1 and verse 22, this is a popular uh, passage. It, It reads, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, 
and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So, so notice what's happening here is that without doing what you hear, self-deception sets in. Okay? Let me say this another way. Acting on the word removes forgetting. Has anyone ever forgotten a good word from God? Has anyone ever forgotten by Sunday evening what your pastor preached on Sunday morning? <laughs> no, no hands raised, please. <laughs> Self-preservation. <laughs> Has anyone ever, well, here, here's why. Here's why we do that. Here's why that happens to us. When we hear a word and don't put it into action, we don't do that word, we believe that we did. To the point that we forget what that word was. I can't even remember. I, don't, I can't remember scripture. <laughs> I can't remember Bible verses. You can if you do them. We all can remember the, if we do them. But not doing it allows forgetfulness to set in and self-deception. We think we're doing better than we really are. We think everything's great and it's not. Verse 25, for, uh, verse 25, <laughs> but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So let me ask you a question. Are you better off or worse off for attending church? Quick to answer, aren't you? Oh. <laughs> it depends. I said, Pastor, don't tell people that. Tell them they're all better because they'll keep coming. It depends on what we do. Why? If we hear the word and don't do it, we become forgetful and self-deceived. I can't say that's better. So I think it's entirely possible we go to church and leave worse, believing we're better. You might go out saying, "Woo, awesome. I feel so good. I'm so glad I went. That was so wonderful. And we're deceived. <laughs> Someone said, leave me alone in my deception. <laughs> the, the thing is, it's not long-term benefit, though. It's a feel-good, right? The only way we leave better, or as the word says here, blessed, is if we do it. We must do the word. Someone said, well, aren't we blessed in Christ? Totally. We could give you scriptures all day long declaring the blessing of God we have in Christ, but that blessing is often not realized by people. It is, see, that blessing will be realized when we act on God's word. Yes. The scripture says again, this one will be blessed in what he does. does. The blessing comes in the doing. The doing of what we've heard. Amen. I mean, I think we know this practically, but sometimes we check our brains at the door. 
All Christians, every believer, every believer is inherently blessed in Christ. Practically speaking, I have seen many people that were totally blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ and they can't pay their bills. They're behind on their on a house payment or a car payment or, or they're struggling with their health. They're struggling with their relationships. They're, I mean, just problems galore. And yet I could look at them and give them scripture and say, but you are blessed. But it doesn't seem to be translating into, into this practical life. Why? Well, here's one reason why. Because we are blessed in what we do. Then that blessing that we have received without labor without effort, is translated into real-life action. Again, the Lord saved us and washed us clean, not so we could look like everybody else and just go to heaven at the end of it. He washed us clean and gave us new life so that would be translated into love and faith and action that was blessed of Him. So that the blessing of God, in other words, what we read in Philippians 2, remember, work out your salvation. So your salvation gets on the outside. And doesn't just exist on the inside. Well, I got a good warm fire in here. Dude, we're looking for smoke. <laughs> Hallelujah. Two components I can see here to the blessing is number one, continuing in what we've heard. And number two, being a doer of it. How This is the one who is blessed, the one who continues. So the words that are spoken, the word of the Lord can't be a casual glance that we, we receive once a week. It cannot be just, hey, yeah, that was great. Amen. Got it. But we continue. We think about it. We talk about it. We ponder these things. We let it settle inside of us to the point where our believing is manifested in actions. It comes out in what I do with my money. It comes out in how, what I do with people who betray me. It comes out in what I do with my time. It comes out in how I do church. Amen. It comes out in my worship. It comes out in everything. What I believe, what I meditate, what I think about, it becomes one. And so my believing and my doing are synonymous. There's no contradiction. There's no deception. There's no, you know, false picture given to the world. Amen. Let me remind you in closing of a story that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 7. You, you've probably heard of it before about the, the two houses built on the different foundations. One was built on the rock, the other built on the sand. Remember? Jesus talked about the wind and the rain and the, uh, and the weather coming uh, to both houses. On the one, it knocked it down, and the other, it stood strong. And he said the one built on the, on the solid rock is the person who hears and does what I say. They hear and do. They do something with what I tell them. The other person, they hear it and they don't do anything with it. What is their life like and done to? It's a very vulnerable existence. Okay? And, and here's, what, here's another thing I would challenge you to believe today. All right? Wise people believe this. That storms, talking in a figurative sense, but the storms of life, the opposition to your existence is powerful. So powerful that it can totally knock your house down. Your, again, your, your life down. It can, even for the Christian, absolutely. The storm is powerful. 
The opposition is real. We live in a dangerous world. It is fallen. It is cursed. We are a light in a dark world. We are blessed in a cursed world, but it is still a cursed world. And there is junk, and there are bad people, and there are circumstances, and there are demons that want to that hate your guts and want to steal, kill, and destroy. This is real. And the storm is coming. So, well, not to us. We're blessed. The storm is coming. Why do I want you to believe that? So that's kind of a negative belief. I'm discouraged now. Well, I wouldn't tell you if it wasn't real. We could, you know, so to speak, put our heads in the sand and act like problems don't exist for, for us or cannot exist. But that's not real. While we're on this planet, they're real. And I want you to believe it so you'll take preventative action. So that you will do what's necessary. Say, what is that? It's exactly what Jesus said. If you will hear and do. That is the recipe for rock foundations. And how many know, if you, if you got a good house, again, physically, you got a good house, and it's solid and it's built on the rock and you've got a good foundation. When the storm comes, it's kind of fun. I like looking out the window. Looking out the window and saying, ooh, look at this. You ever, ever getting a good storm where it's raining like cats and dogs and the wind is blowing, whipping around? Uh, I go out on the porch sometimes just to watch. If there's thunder. Now, I realize we're not in Florida right now where they're, <laughs> you know, it's not hurricane level and probably getting inside. And rebuking. Uh, but in the I, I don't mind a good storm when I'm protected from it. It's no big deal. We're fine. We're at peace. What does that look like in real life? Real life means this. Those who are hearers and doers of the word are not freaking out about all the problems in the world. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm a doer of the word. And he said, this one will be blessed. That James word. This one will be blessed in what he does. Jesus said this one is going to withstand the storm. So we can do this. Amen. We can, we can have right living in a wrong world. Hallelujah. Let's pray today. Father, thank you for working in us now.